The following is a presentation of the Center for Dermatology, Cosmetic, and Laser Surgery in Mount Kisco. Recapture your youthful look with Dr. David Bank. Visit thecenterforderm.com. You'll be happy you did. Welcome to the Health and Happiness Show with Casey. This is a weekly presentation with guests, ideas, information, and fun designed to improve your life from 100.7 WHUD. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Shine On Today, and a very special welcome to hikers and wanderers and anyone who finds their peace in nature. We are going to walk the Appalachian Trail with a true character today, Grandma Gatewood. She had no tent, no sleeping bag. Everything she carried, she carried in a denim drawstring sack that she sort of slung over her shoulder, so it wasn't really even a backpack. She was totally unprepared, frankly. Ben Montgomery, a former college football player, studied journalism at Arkansas Tech. He went on to start his writing career at the Times-Herald Record here in the Hudson Valley. In 2010, Ben was nominated for a Pulitzer for his local reporting on a reform school in Florida, where he lives now. In his latest book, Grandma Gatewood's Walk, Ben chronicles the journey and accomplishments of one Emma Rowena Gatewood. Character and charisma definitely run in this family. She was a distant relative of mine. She was my mother's great aunt. Uh, my mother never, uh, never met her because the families were sort of, the family branches were sort of separated. But I grew up hearing stories about this eccentric, distant relative who uh, threw hike to the Appalachian Trail at the age of 67 in 1955. And she had 11 children and a couple of dozen grandchildren, and she wasn't dressed or prepared for this kind of a journey. What was her inspiration? Once the news media found out that she was trying to through hike the AT, which is 2,000 miles, runs from Georgia to Maine. Reporters showed up and intercepted her all along the, re- the rest of her route, and everybody asked the same question, why are you doing this? And she told them all something different. Uh, she said, I'm doing it on a lark. Uh, she said, I wanted to see what was over the hill and it was, what was over the one beyond that. And I, I don't think anybody really got to her core motivation, but um, I learned from her family that she was married for 30 years to an abusive, oppressive, hard-fisted man who beat her within an inch of her life uh, a number of times and um, when she ran from him and they would get in these these terrible fights but she would often seek refuge in the woods she would run into the woods and hide out sometimes for days I I sort of uh, came to think that uh, nature was was her peace she found a sense of solace in nature and um, and I'm not so sure she was walking towards something as much as she was sort of walking away. Wow. Wow. You know that book, that the movie, uh, Reese Wells? Wild. Wild. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. She wasn't as much walking towards as she was walking away and sort of cleansing her soul. And this feels like that. But that woman in Wild didn't have 11 children, you know, and, and no money. <laughs> so this Grandma right. Gatewood is absolutely phenomenal. What did her children and family think at the time? Well, she didn't tell them. She told them she was going on a walk and and disappeared for all intents and purposes. They didn't learn that she was, by walk, she meant she was hiking the Appalachian Trail until about nine weeks into her journey when she first got discovered by newspaper reporters in Roanoke, Virginia. She had hiked from Georgia to Virginia before word got out. Uh, she didn't want her kids to read about it in the paper, so she dropped a postcard in the mail at Roanoke back home saying, by walk, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm walking 2,050. 50 miles from Georgia to Maine. Uh, and interestingly, none of them were concerned. They, 
they knew how tough their mother was and they knew how independent she was and they knew that if she said she was going to take a very long walk then then she would finish it uh they didn't try to stop her or or go pick her up or uh, anything like that they just let her do her thing we're talking to author ben montgomery also a finalist for a pulitzer prize in 2010 his latest book is called grandma gatewood's walk the inspiring story of the woman who saved the appalachian trail how did she save it well the AT at that time was uh, unknown uh, across America. Only a handful of men had uh, done what they call a through hike, hiking one direction for the entire length of the trail in a season. Uh, and so uh, nobody really knew much about the AT. Um, and what she did, uh, and as a result of that, the the, uh, the trail was um, broken into uh, a bunch of sections, first of all. Much of it crossed private property. And as a result, there, there weren't good blazes on the trail, so you didn't know, you know, she was always getting lost in, in, in 55 because the blazes, which are sort of splotches on trees that tell you which direction to go, the blazes weren't uh, well-maintained. The trail wasn't well-maintained. So what she did was uh, she brought this unprecedented amount of attention. When I say unprecedented, she was written about in newspapers across the country. Uh, the last two weeks of her journey were covered by the Associated Press and United Press International. They were doing daily dispatches. Will Grandma make it? That sort of thing. There was a feature story in Sports Illustrated. She was on the radio and on television, including um, on You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx. And so she brought this unprecedented amount of attention to the existence of the AT. And on top of that, I think her hike said to greater America, if she, if, if a 67-year-old grandmother can do it, then so can we. And so right after her hike, you start to see this uptick in, in the number of thru-hikers. And she was heavily critical of the trail, including uh, in, in a profile of her in Sports Illustrated. She said, an Indian would laugh at this trail. It goes down into the deepest valleys and up over the biggest mountains. This is no fun. She talked about the blowdowns uh, where trees are knocked over the trail. She talked about the lack of blazes. And I think it, it influenced the maintenance of the trail in, in a big way. So on top of the attention that she brought to it, she encouraged uh, better maintenance and pr- preservation of the trail. Anyone listening in the Hudson Valley area is very familiar with that white blaze with the arrow that you see crossing Route 9 mm-hmm. in the uh, Garrison Graymore area. I once spent several hours lost on the trail myself. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But that's just because I had new, this was, I was new to hiking. I had new hiking boots and I thought, well, I'll just start at the Appalachian Trail. How hard can that be? You know, I wanted to yeah. just walk for an hour or two and not knowing my way around, I got lost for four hours on the top of a mountain. But, but Grandma Gatewood did this with no, you know, no backpack and no compass and no, not even great shoes. She had no tent, no sleeping bag. Uh, everything she carried, she carried in a denim drawstring sack that she sort of slung over her shoulder. So it wasn't really even a backpack. She was totally unprepared, frankly. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned Reese Witherspoon. There's a funny uh, scene in that book in which she totally overpacks. Her pack weighs more than she does, and she can barely stand up under the weight. Well, Grandma's pack weighed uh, somewhere uh, between 30 and 35 pounds. She carried a an army blanket to keep warm at night. 
She carried a shower curtain to keep the rain off of her, a Swiss Army knife, a little flashlight, a tin of Band-Aids and bobby pins and some Vicks salve and some peanuts and some powdered milk occasionally and some raisins occasionally. And uh, otherwise, she counted on uh, the kindness of strangers to get her along. Uh, people fed her and gave her a place to stay. And uh, and also, she... she, she um, she was a naturalist. She knew what you could eat alongside the trail. She often ate wild berries and something she called sorrel salad. Sorrel is a plant that grows along the AT that's kind of tart and bitter, but she would pick sorrel and get nutrition that way. She carried bouillon cubes to suck on for for the uh, sodium. Yeah, but she, she, had, she had basically nothing. And then two years later in 1957, when she decided to do it again, she brought pretty much the same gear. <laughs> she, she didn't decide she needed a tent or a sleeping bag or anything like that. She, she pretty much packed in the exact same way and did it again. And yes, you're right. She wore tennis shoes. She hiked mostly in canvas keds. And on that first trip in 55, she blew through seven pairs of them. Ben Montgomery, she did it twice? She actually did it three times. Oh, my. Uh, she, <laughs> she finished the third hike. It was The second was a, uh, another through hike, hiking one way all the way. The third she did in sections, and she finished that in 19, 1964, wow. uh, becoming the first person to do the entirety of the Appalachian Trail twice and three times. Wow. I am so glad you are allowing a whole new generation of people to learn about this wonderful grandma, Grandma Gatewood's Walk. And you say she's a distant relative of yours? She is. She was my, I, I take it she was my great, great aunt. She died in 73 and I wasn't born until 78. So we missed each other by about five years, but it was certainly a pleasure to get to know her through her correspondence and through her trail journals and uh, all the ephemera that she left behind with her family. Wonderful. And I bet she's looking down, smiling somewhere, probably taking laps up in heaven. Very proud of her great, great, great nephew for bringing this to the public's <laughs> attention. I sure hope so. She, they say that she died uh, humming the tune of Battle Hymn of the Republic. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, uh, riding in the back of an ambulance to the hospital. You know, her story is, is known along the AT, but, but outside of that, it's kind of forgotten. So it, it was certainly a pleasure to, um, to try to revive her and, and establish her, uh, her legacy in some humble fashion. Well done. Well done. And where can we find out more? You can find me on Facebook, author of Ben Montgomery, and find me on Twitter at, at Gangrey, G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. Yeah, let's talk about that just for one second. You, sure. You are the founder of the narrative journalism website, Gangrey. Tell me what that means. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a play on words. I, I decided, uh, gosh, it's been 11 years or so, the mid-2000s, that bad writing was uh, was sort of infecting newspapers in the way that gangrene would, but uh, since newspapers are black and white and gray, I, d- I decided to uh, riff on that a bit, and so I called uh, I called my website Gang Gray, and uh, what we do is just uh, sort of collect and highlight good narrative journalism, good storytelling uh, that, that runs in newspapers and magazines across the country. That's Ben Montgomery, a Pulitzer Prize nominee who got his writing start in the Hudson Valley. His latest book is Grandma Gatewood's Walk. Coming up, you're going to meet another woman who found her peace in nature, Eleanor Owen Sealand. She grew up in a castle on Bannerman's Island in the middle of the Hudson River. She tells her story next.
This is the Health and Happiness Show with Casey on 100.7 WHUD. If you have a question or need more information about things you've heard on the show, email kcradio at gmail.com. The Health and Happiness Show, information, fun, and inspiration. Do your hands need a beauty makeover? Hands have always been a sign of elegance. And even if you have a youthful facial appearance, hands don't lie. Now there is an easy solution for aging hands. Radius is the first and only FDA-approved product to correct volume loss on your hands. Radius restores beauty by filling out that hollow look to the back of your hands, leaving them looking smooth and natural. Results can be seen immediately. Lidocaine is added to the Radius, making this a virtually painless procedure. In less time than it takes for lunch, the results of Radius hand lift treatment will make your hands soft and supple again. The procedure is safe and can last up to 15 months. Call today and schedule your hand lift consultation with Dr. David Bank. Dr. David Bank at the Center for Dermatology, Cosmetic and Laser Surgery in Mount Kisco. 914-241-3003. You'll find out more at the centerforderm.com. Hi, Patty Holmes here with your Yoga Garden Minute and a bit of thought-provoking anatomy. Yoga teachers are always telling us to breathe. We focus on the movement of air as it travels in and out, but that's only half of the story. Can you guess where most of that oxygen gets delivered to? Which body part receives the greatest supply? If you guess the brain, good job, you're right. About 15 to 20% of our oxygen intake goes to our brains. Now, a tougher question. Which body part receives the second greatest amount of that oxygen supply? Your heart? Nope. Stomach? Nope. Lungs? No. Give up. Get ready for this one. The second greatest amount of incoming oxygen gets delivered to the deepest, most hidden parts of our bodies, all the way to the marrow of our bones. How cool is that? So now, full inhale. Feel it, finding its way deep, deep into your bones. This is Patty Holmes at yogagardenwp.com in White Plains, New York. We were rolling down this road in... Anbar Province. Three personnel carriers with... with 16 of us on board. All of a sudden, there's... There's a huge explosion. We knew right away... It was an IED. The first vehicle got got wasted. And those guys took a... A huge hit. Then we started taking sniper fire and RPGs from the hills. In today's military, women face the same dangers as men. It's pretty amazing. We made it out alive. But when they come home, women veterans confront a whole different set of challenges, like unique health care issues, or not receiving respect or even acknowledgement for serving in harm's way. DAV understands the problems women veterans face, and we can help. Many DAV advisors are female veterans. They've been there, and they're ready to provide expert guidance. DAV fights to get you the health, disability, and financial benefits you were promised and earned. If you're a veteran, visit DAV.org for free help. Hi, it's Casey. Today, Eleanor Owen Sealand plays piano and organ for her church in Modena, New York. She's writing children's books, too. This born storyteller has many stories to share as she grew up a caretaker's daughter on a tiny island in the Hudson River. On the island today, the original castle is being refurbished, and art and theater are alive in this place where Frank Bannerman once collected military equipment. What was Eleanor's childhood like on Bannerman Island? Oh, it was like a princess in a castle, I guess, although you don't realize it until after you're gone from that place. I'm kind of uh, 
very nice. You can run down and go swimming anytime you want to. You can go fishing. You can go boating. There are not a lot of people on the island. It's your family and things. But there are a lot of visitors who want to come and enjoy the boating and things. And my brother and I would spend hours in the river. And the canoes from West Point used to come up and circle around. And one time we were skinny dipping and the canoes came up. And so we're hiding in this perfectly clear water up there. But we don't know the difference. So <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> That's fantastic. I bet you have a million childhood memories. I do. I really do. I do. I remember one time I went up on the up by the little castle and looked down the river toward West Point and I uh the uh it was between seasons. It was just going into fall and the fog was boiling up off of the river. And I'm looking at the fog and I see flames coming out of the fog. Well, I can't understand that, so I'm rubbing my eyes and looking at it, and the flames are moving. So they move out of my range of sight. They're moving around the island and going to go north. And so I'm running down the hill past the place where my parents living live screaming, there's fire on the river, there's fire on the river! <laughs> so I ran down the hill, down to the harbor area, ran over to the north banks along the edge of the river there, breakwater actually and uh, there were the flames moving out along the edge of the breakwater so I ran out to see these flames in the water and I just got there in time to see like some wooden planks all fastened together in the water with spikes and things and the weight of the metal on the planks pulled the fire and everything else the wood underwater so the fire went out well, it's a big mystery, but the next day in the newspaper, there was a report that off Newburgh, some grain barges had burned up. Oh. So apparently I got to see just the floor of the grain barge going by wow. in the fog. So as I say, yes, it was kind of exciting living on the on the river there. I would say so. You had a bird's eye view to things most people would never see. Now, do you get back there now, and what do you think of the plans to refurbish the island? Well, yes, I, I do go back, and I speak sometime and tell some of these tales. I think it's a wonderful idea, because I think that people are interested in history and the things that went on in the past, and the island really has a very exciting, varied uh, background that I think people would be interested in and interested exploring the island itself and seeing some of the relics that are left and the things. I'm looking forward to the opening up of the uh, Bannerman's home on the island there for visitors to be able to go through and see some of the artifacts and things. Now, how did you get to live there? My dad was a caretaker there. He was a caretaker before I was born, so as soon as I was born, I was taken to the island and spent my first at least 11 years living on the island. After that, it was kind of intermittent. As my mother went back and forth to work on the island, my dad went into the service in the 40s, so he was no longer caretaker on the island. Now, how did you get to school? Well, <laughs> if the weather was good, we would take the boat. My dad would row us across, my brother and I. We're the oldest members of the family, and uh, he would take us up to Dutchess Junction School, which is just south of Beacon. It was a small schoolhouse with two rooms. At one time, there were eight students there, two teachers, which was very nice. I think it was private tutoring, to tell the truth. But sometimes we would have to walk home from school if my dad was busy working or even in Newburgh taking a shipment of something to 
be delivered to the store down in uh, New York City, Bannerman Store on Broadway in New York. And uh, then we would have to either row ourselves back over. If we were too small, my mother would row over and get us and take us over. But one time, it was um, we had to walk back, and that wasn't too bad. It's about two miles. But when we got to the river, excuse me, my brother never walked. He always ran. Okay, so I had to run to keep up with him. But uh, when we got to the river, the river had ice on it. We had walked over in the morning. My dad had brought us over. So we had to walk back, but we weren't allowed to walk back alone. We had to wait for my mother to come out and get us. She wasn't there. Do you think my brother waited? No. He kept right on running, and I'm screaming at him, wait, wait, wait. Because what happens is the ice in the river lowers and raises with the tide at a different rate than the ice in the harbor. So where we pass through the narrow section to go into the harbor, the ice shears off. Wow. So there's a break there. So I'm screaming at my brother. My mother's screaming at my brother. And my brother just keeps right on running. And when he gets to that place in the ice, he doesn't get over it. He drops in it. Oh, my gosh. So by the grace of God, I was able to get there and pull him out. I really believe there had to be a second layer of ice down there so he didn't go under. Because if he went under, he could have come up under the ice on either side and still be under the ice. Terrible. So needless to say, I was able to pull him out. My mother, of course, grabbed him, and she's screaming at him while she's hugging him and all the rest of it and crying. And It was, it was quite a scene yeah. there for a while, but grace of God, it worked. Also, quite an education. I bet you learned things about your natural environment that other children did not learn. Oh, you learned to respect the river. You really did. And the wind. The wind is very, very high on the uh, island. You could hear it whistling through the castle and things. And it was very, very cold. And if you got um, caught in the ice flow, which we did at one time, in fact, the the ice was moving on the river, but at the same time, the snow had come down and covered the surface of the river, which I'd never seen before in my life. The snow was actually moving up and down on top of the waves in the river. And uh, that might have been a minor thing, but when my dad pushed the boat off to take us over the island, every time he put his oars in the water, they coated with snow. So after two or three dips to move us forward, he'd have to break the snow off of the oars, take three more dips, break the snow off the oars, and the tide is carrying us down away from the island. And I'm sitting there crying and screaming and carrying on. Very helpful. I was very helpful. <laughs> but, uh, and my dad, he is working so hard, he actually has icicles hanging off his nose from the sweat mm. that's going on. It's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's getting dark. And I know if we get out in the middle of the river, there's nobody's going to know that we're even there to get out. How are they going to rescue us Right. because of the situation? But anyway, we got... On the lower, we missed the island, but we got in the lower part of the island where the where we were kind of protected and where the tide that was moving downstream was broken. So in that spot, he was able to make some headway and get to the breakwater uh, where my mother and the other caretaker came out and rescued us. By the grace of God, again, I'm telling you, 
Never a dull moment living on Bannerman Island. Never a dull moment, that's for sure. Well, I love hearing your memories, and we're going to uh, make sure people know how to get to the island, and hopefully when they get there, it'll be on a day when you are there and maybe giving a talk. And what would you like to say to people who've never heard of Bannerman Island before? Well, I would say that they're missing an opportunity if they don't take a little bit of time and just take a break and go see what's going on there at the island and become part of the restoration. That is Eleanor Owen Sealand, who grew up in a castle on Bannerman Island. Today, you can cruise to the island via boat or kayak on the Hudson and enjoy theater and musical performances and help preserve the life of this landmark. For more, visit bannermancastle.org. Hope all goes well in your castle this week. Let's venture out and find each other again next week, too. You've been listening to the Health and Happiness Show with Casey. The content of the Health and Happiness Show is intended for general information purposes only. The Health and Happiness Show is a presentation of the Center for Dermatology, Cosmetic, and Laser Surgery in Mount Kisco. Recapture your youthful look with Dr. David Bank. Visit thecenterforderm.com. You'll be happy you did. You can listen to previously broadcast shows online at kcradio.com. And join Casey for another edition of the Health and Happiness Show next Sunday morning on 100.7 WHUD.